The following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. If your best run plays are coming off end arounds, there's a problem. Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John. And there's no holding this buffoon back either. The biggest thing that affected Justin Fields was a coaching change. And now he has an offensive coordinator, and he actually will fit a scheme to the quarterback. Something we have not seen in a long time. I've had it! I have had it! I want somebody to get kicked in the ass! When I see Twitter polls and national media and fans weighing in on who is going to have the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft, and I see people commenting, Chicago, and it's not even close, then yeah, you know what? I'm going to get a little defensive. I got my ass whipped many times, but I tell you, I took somebody down with me. I don't think the Bears are a two to three win team. So to answer your question, no. The Bears aren't going to be the worst team in the NFL. It's Buffone 55, the John Buffone Show. Welcome to another edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach at breaking down those Chicago Bears. I'm John Buffone. My co-host and producer, Alyssa Garbieri, is off this week as Tropical Storm Nicole hits Florida. Alyssa, we obviously offer our thoughts and uh, best wishes to you and all Floridians as they deal with another serious weather event. But that means the man we've started calling the Podfathers, filling in Aldo. What a weekend and a fun fans football we had in chicago have you recuperated yet has your wife recuperated (laughs) (laughs) that's the key question there john (laughs) by the way kudos to you you stay in our home and we set up the room really nice and so forth and you left it even better that we left it for you. And my wife says to me, did he take pictures of where the pillows were and where this was? And stuff? It was amazing. You're a great guest to have. We had tons of fun. We'll talk about this more later. You can thank uh, Mama Buffon for that one. Because always, <laughs> always leave the, the house or the room better than how you found it. So that was, that was ingrained in my oh, mind from, the very, from a very young age. But let's get to the topic at hand, Aldo. The 2-6 and six Detroit uh, Lions are visiting the 3-5 and five Chicago Bears this Sunday. And we got a great, great guest joining us tonight to help us better understand a team coming off a huge upset of the Green Bay Packers. But before we get into that, Aldo... Can you let the bar flies in on how this show works? That's right. This show has been scientifically and mathematically constructed to give you the absolute best football talk. And there are three segments, and we begin with our guest this week, and he is Kent Platty, also known as the Math Bomb on Twitter. He is extraordinary. Kent is the NFL and is is in the NFL Analytics and Applications Department for PFN three sixty five. He's also the creator of Relative Athletic Score. We'll talk more about that yesterday later in the show if you don't know what this is if you don't know what raz is you really ought to know as a football fan and so we'll get into that a little later 
That's followed by our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions about the Bears, and he responds in each one within 55 seconds. That's John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffon, his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Chicago Bears in award number 55. And then we finish things up with a free-for-all that John calls Buffon's basement, where I join John, and we have a very special guest tonight, Danny Shimon, who's going to break down two or three plays for us, and we'll have a, a, a wide-ranging discussion on all of the Chicago Bears' hot topics. John, it is all yours. Thank you, Aldo. Like you said, our guest tonight is Kent Platty from ProFootballNetwork.com and the inventor of the Raz System. Kent, friend of the show, how you doing? I uh, appreciate you being on. Fantastic, man. Always glad to come on and talk to you guys. Excellent. So I, I'm. this is a very interesting team we're talking about. Of course, we're talking about the Detroit Lions and that scrappy team we saw on Hard Knocks. So uh, let's just get started with some of the, the good news for NFC North fans. And that's it. The Packers might be the worst team in this division right now. So you saw their performance against Green Bay. Uh, what did they do right or what happened with Green Bay? <laughs> So one of the biggest strengths that Green Bay has always had has been their offensive line and, of course, Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers looked terrible against the Lions. This is a secondary that's been one of the worst in the NFL for the entire season. And they look like all pros out there against Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Kirby Joseph got two picks and a pass deflection, ended up winning uh, defensive, uh, defensive Rookie of the Week. Um, that's no Detroit Lion player or rookie has ever won defensive rookie of the week. And he did it against Aaron Rodgers. Aiden Hutchinson had a pick against Aaron Rodgers. They just absolutely shredded him. And it was, I would love to sit here and say that it always, it was all great play from the Lions defenders. And there was legitimately good play in there, uh, but it was a lot of mistakes. And this is a team that has, has thrived on making very few mistakes and being able to live by being efficient. And they're just doing none of that right now. It's a very sloppy, messy team, and they're making a lot of mistakes. And if you're a smart team, you can take advantage of that. So with that being said, I, I want to know holistically, everyone, I mean, I love Dan Campbell. I, I think I associate him as like my spirit animal. If I were a head coach, that's kind of how I would be, how I would be acting. Uh, but with the, with the way that Detroit has progressed or regressed or whatever, whatever, which way do you think they're going? Uh, is he safe going into next year, or is that still uh, a you know something could go either way? Detroit's in for a long haul rebuild. They've been for that way from the beginning, and it seems like the team understands that. Uh, there was a little bit of worry before the Packers game that they were losing faith in Dan Campbell. I don't really think anything has indicated that trading TJ Hawkinson away was a really good sign that they understand that this isn't going to happen overnight. This isn't something that they can just you know expect to be rushed out. The team has a lot of holes, but their best performing players right now are rookies or young players that were drafted by Brad Holmes. When you've only got two years in and most of your good players were drafted by that guy, that's a really good positive sign going forward. So I think the team understands that this isn't going to happen overnight and they're expected to, to produce results. Uh, but they also fired uh, Aubrey Pleasant, their defensive backs coach, uh, before the Packers game. And he's a very well-liked, well-respected coach. And it was, a, it was generally considered a poor move at the time because he's such a well-liked and well-respected coach. Uh, but it seemed to have lit a fire underneath them, and they they played their best football of the season as a defense. So something's going right. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of time, and that's we're hoping that it's fast, but it never is. 
Uh, you, you brought up TJ Hawkinson. What do you think was behind that trade? It's, uh, especially trading him within the division. Was it just about getting the best offer or uh, why do you think they were willing to move off Hawkinson? Is it all part of the rebuild? Yeah, they're, they're not going to resign Hawkinson. I think was the sign there is that they weren't going to resign him. And there wasn't really any reason to try to keep him around. The season was lost already. They only had one, one win and yes, there's plenty of football left to play, but I think we all understand that this team is not going to be a playoff caliber team. Um, but they're, they understand that they can get, got to get whatever you can while the price is still high. And I don't think that Hawkinson's value would really improve all that much. Uh, I posted about it right after the trade that the, the total value, cause it was four picks involved. Mm-hmm. The total, the total value of the picks was essentially a third round pick for, for Hawkinson, which is about right for that, that tier two tight end. And, you know, it's just getting value back when you have a player that was going to eventually leave anyway. Um, I doubt they'll get the same production from James Mitchell, their fifth round draft pick, or uh, Brock Wright, who was an undrafted free agent from last year, who's been one of their blockers, or Shane Zylstro, who's an undrafted free agent from this year that they were using a little bit. But two of those guys caught touchdowns last week. So it's it's they're not getting no value out of those guys. They just don't value the tight end position enough right now to be spending premium resources on it. Speaking of that offense, I mean, you, you look you look at, what they had been doing. So you're scoring 35, 36, 24, 45. Uh, and, but also there have been some clunkers in there as well. Uh, what's up with the peaks and valleys of this, uh, of this Detroit offense? Is it, does it have to do with the quarterback, the scheme, or possibly just the schedule? A lot of it has to do with the quarterback with Jared Goff. Jared Goff can only really function in a perfect environment. You know, he's one of those guys that has to have perfect protection. He has to have a strong run game and his receivers have to be on point. They have to be exactly where he expects them to be or he struggles. Um, When he faced uh, New England, you really saw that because they were able to put some pressure on him and get him uncomfortable and he completely fell apart. Um, After scoring 35 points a game, he scored nothing against them. And then he wouldn't score anything the following, wouldn't score a touchdown the following week. Um, golf is good enough to get by if you have a team that can make things work, but he's just not good enough to run an entire offense from consistently throughout the season. They really have uh, something going for him, though, with that run game, the offensive line, and the scheme run by Ben Johnson, who's a first-year defensive or offensive offensive play caller, is doing really well. And you don't usually get reserve offensive linemen putting the kind of play together that the Lions reservists have been able to do. Uh, the downside right now is that they've had a lot of injuries. It's it's walking wounded right now, and it's very difficult to continue to run that kind of strong offense if everybody is hurt. You know, DeAndre Swift has been injured, so they lost that dynamic player in the backfield. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown has been injured, so they lost their most reliable receiving threat. Um, DJ Chark is on IR, so one of their big-name free agents they brought in to be that, that over-the-top guy has been out, and they still haven't seen Jamison Williams, their top draft pick from this year. So a lot of injuries, and they managed pretty well, and actually I would consider it very well, at least to to start the season, considering the amount of injuries that they've had. Uh, But this team isn't really built to dominate yet, and it's, it's it's a good sign of things to come that they were able to do so convincingly in the first couple of games, but I don't think that that's sustainable, and that's what we've seen over the last few weeks. 
Uh, let's switch sides of the ball because you, you did talk about uh, the defensive backs coach uh, being let go. Uh, was he kind of like they need some kind of change? So this guy's going to be the scapegoat because certainly uh, they played pretty well against the Packers. <laughs> so uh, what what is going on with the defensive backs? Was it a real coaching issue or was this just something needs to be shook up? And this is the easiest and probably the most financially uh, smart thing to do. It's kind of a little bit of both. When when it first happened, my first thought was that this is they're just scapegoating him because I don't I don't think he's the biggest problem in that defense. You know, their linebacking core has not been very strong. Their pass rush, despite um, uh, Aiden Hutchinson playing really well, that that defensive line as a whole has just not been playing very well, and that makes everybody struggle. No defensive back is going to do well when you don't have a pass rush, right? Um, but we saw this this last week that those communication issues that they talked about when they fired Aubrey Pleasant, that showed up when the guys were able to communicate really well. They were able to understand their assignments better. Um, you know, what, what really did Aubrey Pleasant in, I think, was the amount of penalties that we're getting. And we talk about stupid penalties. Every penalty is stupid, right? But the same defensive back getting back-to-back offsides calls is the kind of boneheaded nonsense that will get you fired because that is there's no excuse for that, right? So I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, that that Aubrey Pleasant was a very good coach that that was probably doing a lot of good things with that defense. We saw a lot of guys like Jeff Okuda and Tracy Walker prior to his injury who improved their play with Aubrey Pleasant. Uh, but the communication issues weren't weren't working and they were they have enough problems. They needed something to get fixed. And it seems to give them a little bit of spark. Hopefully that that continues to play out the rest of the season. I want to take a step back real quick with a uh, about Jared Goff and go to a user question we have in the chat from Nano CBD. The question is: Is Goff's contract preventing the Lions from going after new free agents, or what's the current situation with Goff's contract? Is it going to be tough to get out of that, or are they looking ahead past that? I don't think it is now. I think it did when they first brought him in. Um, you'll you'll see all the contracts that the Lions picked up in the in the first year and a little bit a little bit this year too were mostly one-year contracts or very small contracts. They didn't they didn't go out and bring in any big-name free agents. And you're not just bringing in big-name guys to, to bring in big names to try to win immediately. You're trying to build a roster. And they didn't do that in either of the last two years. You're, you're talking about a quarterback that was getting paid over $30 million a year while they still have Matthew Stafford's money on the books. So they were spending an obscene amount of money at the quarterback position. So I, I don't think they're in that position right now, though. Now they're past a, a big majority of that. They've, they're, they're heading into his out year in 2023. They only have a $10 million cap hit if he's cut in 2023. I don't think he will be. Uh, but it gives them a lot more flexibility in 2023 and beyond to do something else at the quarterback position. They can draft a guy and they can let him sit. They can draft a guy that can start immediately and trade Jared Goff and try to find a, a way to recoup some of those draft picks. Maybe that's how they get the pick to, to get Jared Goff if they're, or to get their quarterback if they're trading up. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios that could happen next year, but I think that he's here at least through a majority of 2023 up to the trade deadline. My guess is that they're going to try to trade him and bring in somebody else, uh, but I don't think he's part of their long-term plans. And thankfully, we're, we're, we're going to be out from underneath the big part of his contract next year. 
I mean, that was kind of my next question of whether or not the ship has sailed on this guy potentially being the long-term solution. Or was he was that a legit possibility after the Stafford trade where the idea was this really could be our quarterback of the future and maybe we got we stole some picks and got younger at the quarterback position? Or was this always going to be like, hey, play out a couple years here and then we'll use those picks to maybe get a quarterback? So Brad Holmes drafted Jared Goff. He was with the Rams front office when they drafted Jared Goff. And he was very excited to do so. Um, my evaluation of Jared Goff was much less rosy. Prior to his coming to the Detroit Lions, I had done a very deep dive into Jared Goff's play. Whenever I'm wrong about a player or feel like I'm wrong about a player, I always go back and watch everything that I can about the player, see what I got wrong. Because you always want to get better as a talent evaluator, right? Even if it's just a hobby, you want to get better, you know? Oh, yeah. um, I always learn something, but I didn't when I watched Jared Goff. He, he looked exactly the same. And this was through his bad seasons and the good ones that he had, like in 2018. Um, he's always been exactly the same guy. Whenever things are going absolutely perfect, he can run an offense. He can stay in rhythm. And as long as he can stay in rhythm, he can put a pass on target 10, 15 yards downfield. He can occasionally take a deep shot. And if somebody's wide open, they're going to catch his deep shots. Um, but he's not somebody that works well under pressure. He doesn't work well when his, his running game is starting to break down. He doesn't do well when he has to control his offense and take charge of things. He really struggles in those types of situations. And he just really isn't the kind of guy you build a franchise around. Fans, of course, wanted that to be the case. They wanted him to be the guy when they brought him in. He had a couple of Pro Bowls under his belt. He had that one season in 2018 that was really good. Um, but you, you can't lean on a guy for his playoff experience if his playoff experience was ridiculously bad. And Jared Goff had an awful playoffs playoff performance. Um, he, he just wasn't the dude. He was holding that team back. Um, you can't build around that. Mm-hmm. But you can build you can build other stuff while that's still there. You, know, you can build you can build around it, but but you can't build around it. You know what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. One doesn't depend on the other necessarily. Yeah. Eventually, they have to they have to fit together, but you can build them independently. And since we're on the subject of Jared Goff, let's go to a, a user question from Cliff Victoria. Question: Do the Lions draft a quarterback this year? Is this the year they go after it? Now, does I mean, obviously, there's a lot of variables on that where they're picking, who's available, what their you know their scouting is on some of these guys. But is do you think the the temperature is getting in Detroit to the point where it's let's go get our franchise guy this year and then start building around him? I think it kind of has to be this year. This is the, the last year that they're going to have pre prime draft draft choices to be able to do that. Um, not necessarily just meaning they're where they're picking with their own pick, even though their pick is relatively high right now, but they have multiple first round picks, multiple seconds, multiple thirds right now. If you're going to trade up to get a quarterback because your team started winning some games and you, you started to fall down that draft chart a little bit, this is the only year that you can move back up to get a quarterback. If you don't want to spend those premium resources, this is probably the last year that they're picking inside the top 10. When you hit that year three, you're going to expect this defense to start picking things up. All those young guys who have been performing well will be performing, hopefully, assuming that everybody continues to develop, will be performing even better. Start Some of those things are going to start to gel. You're going to start getting six, seven, eight wins. And now you're outside of that range to draft a quarterback. They're unlikely to hit seven or eight wins this season, they might cap out at six. So they're going to be either in position to draft one of the top quarterbacks or trade up for one of the top quarterbacks, and they won't be in 2023. So, or 2024 rather. So it's it's either now or never, in my opinion. <laughs> 
<laughs> Pretty good evaluation there. Uh, we always like to get outside opinions on Bears players because sometimes we echo with or we operate within an echo chamber. And so uh, what do you or I would say even Detroit Lions fans think of the progression of Justin Fields? Because the, the jury is out for a lot of people because they just have differing opinions on the guy. So uh, from you being able to maybe watch a few games this year, what are your thoughts on him? And that's also uh, that's what our user question was from uh, Bruce Ali, Walter Jordan, impression on Fields. What's your initial impression going into this game? So I love Justin Fields coming out. So I, I was very happy to see him go to a team that I thought was going to do a lot to help him as, as, a, as a player. I, I don't think that they have done the best job in putting the right players around Justin Fields and putting him in the best position. Uh, but obviously he has talent. Obviously are there are ways that you can use him that you can't use most quarterbacks. And they're starting to realize that. Use him as a runner. Get him out in space. Find ways to make him a threat to the defenses. Because once once a quarterback is considered a threat, they have to game plan for him. And once a defense considers it starts considering game planning for an offensive player, you as an offense can now start to game plan around that and try to find ways to beat whatever you think they're going to do to counter your, your winners. And Justin Fields is starting to do that. He's really starting to come into his own. Um are the Bears going to continue to put it put him in the best position to, to do so? It's been mixed so far, right? They haven't they've they've done a couple things right. They've done a couple things that, that weren't really that good, especially as a rookie. So hopefully he continues to progress for you guys. Hopefully he continues to progress. <laughs> um, but I think as long as he he has the right kind of guys around him, I think he can elevate the players around him using his style of play, his athleticism, his arm, and really start to get an offense that can be dangerous in the NFL. So as we're still talking about quarterbacks or I want to talk, I want to keep talking the quarterback question going, but I want to talk about it from a different angle. The bears, they've been having some real trouble on defense, specifically getting to the quarterback. Now the Lions, uh, they started the season with one of the, you know, better offensive lines uh, in the NFC. Has that offensive line been progressing or regressing? What can we expect on Sunday? The individual play has not regressed at all. Every one of the guys on that offensive line that was playing good at the beginning of the year is still playing good right now. And the depth, depth players that they've had have also been playing pretty well. The problem is that they've had to deal with injuries. The The Lions starting offensive line has never played a game together. They just never have since last year. Hmm. Um, and, and that's hopefully not going to continue, but that's really hard to, to come back from. They, they had a guy named Evan Brown they picked up last year, and he's their, their top reserve interior offensive lineman. He's basically a starter, and he's played very well. Um, they also have um, another offensive lineman. I'm blanking on his name. He's a converted uh, offensive or defensive lineman from Iowa. But he's their, their sixth blocker, and he's injured right now. And that's a bigger problem than it would be for most teams, most teams, your sixth six tackle get, gets injured or your, your third tackle gets injured. That's not that big of a deal. Matt Nelson, sorry, Matt Nelson. Um, you know, that's that's not that huge of a deal. But the Lions use that that extra tackle to block quite a bit, way more than most teams. So they've been bringing in Dan Skipper, who's a really big player. He's the one of the largest players in the NFL. Um, and he's 6'9", and he's just a massive dude. Uh, but he's not very athletic. He's not nearly as athletic as Matt Nelson. You can't really do the same types of things. You're a little bit more limited in the types of play calling that you can do. 
but the Lions offensive line is still very strong. And Ben Johnson has been a very good offensive play caller for them. He's done a really good job in scheming that offensive line and using that as a strength. Um, particularly in the run game. Uh, we've seen Jamal Williams you know, putting up ridiculous touchdown numbers and being a regular force despite the fact that he was the number two guy coming into the season. He's not expected to be the starter, and he's still putting up solid numbers, uh, especially when they get in the red zone. It's hard to play bully ball against the Lions when they get to the red zone. You know, we talk about the the offensive line. Let's move over and talk about the defensive line. Who uh, who can we expect to be maybe putting some pressure on fields? How is the pass rush for the Detroit Lions, and will there be uh, will there be a little more pressure on Justin Fields than, he, than he's used to? Although he's used to just enough, he's he's used to a lot of pressure. This is a little bit of a risky one because the Lions, when they have been able to get pressure, they've struggled to to pull the quarterbacks down. They've had some issues with tackling. The best off defensive lineman they have right now is rookie Aiden Hutchinson. He's put up the most pressure out of any of their players. He's got the most sacks. He's he's just the best player they've had. And he pulled down a pick last year when Aaron Rodgers was, for some reason, throwing to David Bakhtiari in the end zone for reasons. But he's been a really good player for the Lions. Uh, they have a guy named Alan McNeil, their nose tackle, who's played really well for them. Um, Michael Brockers has been a healthy scratch for several weeks. They haven't even brought him onto the playing field. Um, he was their big veteran guy that they brought over from the Rams, and he just hasn't even been playing. Um, but other than that, there really isn't a whole lot. The big wild card in that could be Josh Pascal, their second-round pick from this year, who did really well in his rookie debut, and then he struggled a little bit. Um, you know, It's kind of a, a, a wild card in that there's not a lot of tape on him. There's not a lot that people can figure out where they're going to use him and how they're going to utilize him. Uh, but I'm excited to see him play against the Bears and, and try to do something against Fields. Um, the problem is that Fields is hard to bring down. That's, that's a hard guy to catch and a hard guy to tackle. So uh, it could go either way. I, I don't think it's a strength of the Lions right now, um, but Hutchinson's been good enough that it's it's worth noting that. You know, let's talk skill position players uh, because Detroit going into this year, you think they had they looks like they have some playmakers on there. They go in the they they let go of T.J. Hawkinson, but kind of give us a a scouting report on the wide receivers and the running backs. Are there any injuries we need to be made aware of and who do we need to keep an eye on uh, who, whenever they touch the ball? All of them. They're all hurt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mentioned DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is, is a very dynamic player. He's, he's uh, dangerous in both the run game and the passing game, but he's been injured for several weeks now and he's been limited in his practice. He's limited in practice this today. So I'm not sure how much they're going to utilize him. They've got Jamal Williams, who's been pretty healthy for them, and he's he's more of that that bully type of running back, likes to run up the middle, likes to hit people, um, especially when he gets to the red zone. He's going to be their biggest threat when he gets to the red zone. Uh, skill position players have been hurt. Amon Ross St. Brown is coming off of an injury, um, and I'm pretty sure he practiced this week, um, but he's he's been coming off of an injury. DJ Chark went on IR. Josh Reynolds is their most reliable player. He's injured and has been has been beat up a little bit. So you know, a lot of these guys have just been just been kind of banged up. Um, the big guy to watch though is going to be Khalif Raymond, which is their kick returner and was one of their primary receivers last year. Uh, he's very small. He's a little dude. Uh, but he's very dangerous when the Lions get him the ball in space because he's quick and that size actually works to his advantage because he's difficult to catch. Um, he's the one that I would probably be worried about. I don't think that Brock Wright or uh, Shane Zylstra or even James Mitchell are going to be too much of a threat from the tight end position except for the red zone. 
Um, I don't think the Bears are going to blow coverage as bad as the Packers did last week against Shane Zylstra. Zylstra had Zylstra had the most separation of any player since like 2020 or something um, on his touchdown catch against the Packers. He had almost 15 yards of space between him and the nearest <laughs> Packers defender. Um, so there's there's not a lot going on just because of injuries right now. Jamison Williams is going to be that big dude, but he hasn't seen the field at all yet this year. He's still coming off that injury he had um, in his last year in college. So um, a lot of guys coming off of injury that, that could be wild cards if they're healthy enough, um, but it could also be a big problem for the Lions. Ken, another similarity between the Bears and Lions is their putrid play against the run. So uh, we have an idea why the Bears are having issues with it. What's going on with the Lions' run defense? It's a combination of things, but it really boils down to breakdowns. The Lions have a lot of good players. They have a lot of young players that have been playing well. The, the problem is, is that that never happens to the entire defense all at the same time. There's always a couple of players that are missing their assignments. We mentioned I mentioned those communication issues with the defensive backfield earlier. Um, that issue really creeps up throughout the game, especially when they start to to lose things, when they start to lose their lead. Uh, the team just get you get you get a little panicky and you miss one assignment, and then the the running back is off to the races. Um, the scheme has been a bit of a struggle for the team. I, I'm, I don't think they have all the personnel they need to run this scheme, but the defensive line doesn't really have a whole lot in terms of run defense right now. I mentioned that Hutchinson's playing well, that includes against the run, but not a lot of, not a lot else is going on on that defensive line against the run. The linebacking core is generally smaller than most linebacking cores. The best player in that linebacking core is a sixth round rookie and as good as he's playing, this is Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma State, um, as good as he's playing, and he is legitimately playing very well, it's problematic when that's your, your best linebacker. Now, that said, last week, the, the defense looked so much better, and they had Derek Barnes, who was their fifth-round pick from last year, fifth or fourth-round pick, mid-round pick, um, and he played extremely well last year, one of the best, or last week, one of the best players on the team. Uh, but this year, he's been struggling. So I think it, it comes down to primarily the defensive line, but even if they break through the defensive line, the running backs as a whole unit have not been doing as well against the run. Um, they actually did their best against the run when they pulled in Jeff Okuda as a linebacker a couple of weeks back. I think he had like 15 tackles, some obscene, some obscene number. Wow. Um, because they just pulled him in and, and had him playing linebacker all game. Um, you know, that's, that's not something you want to do most games, um, but <laughs> – I would suspect that they're going to do something similar to that, at least against Justin Fields, because they want somebody who's got a little bit more speed to take on him as a running threat. Uh, is that Malcolm Rodriguez? Is that the famous Rodrigo from the Hard Knocks series? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a character, man. Yeah, he seems like he seemed like a, a real solid dude and uh, loves the game of football. So, uh, you know, I, I always appreciate guys like that. Uh, I do want to go to a couple of user questions here. Let's start with uh, Nano CBD because uh, we're going to talk about special teams anyway. But the Lions special teams only managed eight field goals in eight games. Is there an issue there? Or is that just kind of how it works out? Give us a rundown on the special teams. <laughs> Lions have had double digit kickers in the last two years. <laughs> so it is a problem. It is it is something that they need to work on. Uh, but part of it, too, is that their Lions are one of the most aggressive coaching staffs in the NFL. Dan Campbell doesn't like to punt, and he doesn't like to kick a field goal if he's only got a yard or two to go. Um, they like to go for it on fourth down, and they like to do fakes. 
they've done more fakes, I think, than anybody in the NFL over the last two years. Um, if not, it's probably close because that's got to be only like seven plays a season or something. I doubt that happens often. Um, but they like doing some more creative things on third down um, or on fourth down rather than than most teams. They're more likely to go for it. They're more likely to try some trickery to pull it out. So it isn't just the, that the kicking game has struggled, but it's also that the kicking game has struggled. <laughs> Uh, let's go to uh, another uh, listener question. We talked about this earlier, but I kind of want your personal opinion on it. This one's from J2K. It says, Matt Bum, is there? Uh, is, we know that they're talking moving on from Dan Campbell, but you said this is all part of the rebuild. So if you had to guess, or if you, or let's just say, would you want Dan Campbell to come back as a Lions fan? It would be surprising to me if they moved on from him. Um, this, this team has taken a number of different approaches when it comes to trying to fix the lions. I mean, the lions have been broken for 57 years. <laughs> so there's a, a number of approaches that they tried to do it. Um, when they, then they picked up, um, Matt Martin Mayhew, who was a carryover from the previous GM, that was probably a bad choice. Um, and they brought in a, a player's coach who was expected to come in and try to help everybody and try to bring everybody up. And they got to the playoffs for the first time in, in quite a long time. But they weren't able to sustain it, and the discipline problems became much bigger than they had anticipated, so they moved on. They hired Jim Caldwell, who was a player's coach, and they were expecting things to get better immediately. They did very quickly, but then they fell apart just as quickly because you can't sustain the type of play that he was trying to put together long term. So it was a bad idea to try to just carry on what they had going on. So they picked up Matt Patricia, who wanted to rebuild everything in this Patriots way, and that failed miserably. It didn't work in any measure. And the team ended up worse off than when they had brought in Matt Patricia, which brings us to Dan Campbell. He's coming into a worse position than any of the previous GMs other than the first one when Martin Mayhew first took up. But he doesn't have that crutch of being a carryover from a, the worst general manager in football history. Um, so he doesn't have that hanging over his head. He comes from a winning organization. He's got a reputation of being able to find talent at, in any round, and he's done that over the last two years. You know, I've mentioned the contributors that they have. Malcolm Rodriguez was a sixth-round pick. Kirby Joseph got two picks last year, last week. He was a third-round pick. Um, you know, aside from their second-round picks, which haven't been very good, they've done a very good job of identifying talent and getting good players on the football field. They just need time. Um, the only time there was any worry was that they, they started off much slower than expected this season, but I think that they've communicated the whole follow the plan type of thing to the front office and they've been working with them the entire time. Um, I don't think Dan Campbell's in any danger of losing his job until probably 2025, maybe next year. If, if there's something goes very badly, <laughs> <laughs> which it always can. It's the NFL and it's we've seen the it. Lions and we've uh, trust me as a Bears fan, we've seen things fall apart very quickly whenever we were uh whenever we were enthusiastic as well. So it, it's it goes with the territory. Uh going into this game, uh, I don't even know what the spread is on this game, but uh if you what what are your thoughts on uh the prediction of this game? Do the Lions keep the momentum going off Green Bay and uh, go into Soldier Field and still a win or how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, the Lions are coming in galvanized for the first time pretty much all season. They're, they're coming in with an energy that they haven't had. I don't know how they're going to perform with as many injuries as they have. There's so many injuries on this team right now. It's really tough coming into this week. So it's really tough to predict how they're going to show. Um, one thing that I can say is that even when they've been dealing with injuries, 
they've never stopped giving teams trouble. They've never stopped being a problem. They're, they're always a team that you have to take it. You have to pay attention to, and you have to keep your foot on the gas. Um, I think this is a really good matchup for Chicago. I think that, that Justin Fields being a mobile quarterback and the issues the Lions have had dealing with those types of players uh, plays heavily in, in Chicago's favor. Uh, but I think they're going to be energized. And that was a big issue last week um, where the, the team was just ready to go and the Packers were much more dejected and they were able to take advantage of that and they were able to build on that. So we always talk about momentum and how much that plays into teams. Um, I think if the Lions start to build momentum early in the game, they're going to play on that for the rest of the game and it could be a really big problem. If they're struggling a bit in the first half, the Bears should have a pretty easy time of putting the Lions to bed. Um, it'll probably be a close one. It's been a close one in every game this year other than the the, the couple blowouts they had when they fell apart. But in any game that they've been even a little bit competitive, it's been a lot competitive, if you know what I mean. They're, they're either getting absolutely curb stomped or they're a, they're a really big problem. There's nothing in between there. Well, that should make for an exciting game then. I'm uh, getting more and more excited as the days go by. Uh, hey, Ken, before we get you out of here, you, of course, are the genius behind the creation of the of Raz Analytics. And I know you've explained what it is about a million times or at least a million, or probably a million and a half. But let me try to wrap my head around this because I'm not the best analytics person. So uh, RAS or RAS stands for relative uh, athletic score. And how you get it is that the score for every NFL player is by measuring the athletic testing on speed and agility. Uh, and then you kind of factor that in with height, weight, and strength. Am I, am I in the ballpark or oh, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Every, every player's metric is compared against every other player at that position from 1987 to the player's draft year. So we've got thousands of players in some in some positions. I know wide receivers were up to like 2,500 right now. So the score that you see is from zero to ten, and it's it's literally just that. If you look at their score and you're like, well, he ran a four five two. What's that on a scale of zero to ten? Well, it's a six six point one five. You've got a good idea of where that falls in your head. You know that he's more he's faster than the average player at his position, but he's not so fast that you're like, oh yeah, he's a burner. You know, it gives you a much better idea of where that number compares than just the raw number itself. Um, all of these numbers are factored together, including size, and it is bigger is better in this instance. So technically, if you had a 400-pound cornerback, he's going to have a 10 in weight. That's going to be a good score in weight, um, even though that is very clearly not a good score in weight. Uh, but that's because the, the height and weight are meant to weight the rest of the scores. Um and I felt that it's done a pretty good job of that over the years. And the number of times that I've looked at it, I feel like it's done a good job of waiting for the other scores. Um, but the idea is at the end of it all, you get one score that, again, factors against every other player at that position for the last 30-something years. Um, and and it, it gives you that 0 to 10 to just overall ballpark. Where is, he as a, where is he athletically on a scale of 0 to 10? He's a 9.6 or whatever it is. It gives you a good idea where they are. That makes me curious, and you probably don't know it offhand, but if, I don't know if you've ran this on Justin Fields this year because I feel like a lot of Bears fans would like to know where he ranks when it comes uh, to other quarterbacks. Uh, any idea where uh, Fields might rank uh, on on the, the RAS system? Yeah, he didn't finish testing, but he was headed for a very good score. Um, Fields ran the 40-yard dash, and he had a 99.8th percentile 40-yard dash. He ran a 4.46. So he was headed for a really good score. 
Uh, he just didn't complete his testing, and there's a minimum, so he didn't he didn't complete his testing. He didn't get a score, uh, but it was probably going to be very good. Well, that's like that's what we like to hear. Keep keep throwing those uh, good uh, good compliments coming out to Justin Fields. But uh, Kent, before we cut you loose, please tell our listeners and viewers where they can find your website, catch your work, because this this whole system and this analytical thing you got going on here it's way be of my it's way above my intellect but i want to learn more about it and i'm sure a lot of other people do too so how can they uh, interact with you and also learn more about uh the ras analytic system yeah i'm always available on twitter at math bomb and you can you can find me on most of the time i'm always at least paying attention to my twitter my twitter feed um, I love engaging with fans. I love I love getting questions about this stuff. Don't worry about asking something you feel might be insulting. I've, I've been doing this for a long time. It's where all this white comes from. These are all your questions over the years. Um, but you can find me on there. You can also go to the website at ras.football, and you can search for any player over the last 37 years. Or again, I, got, I forget how many it is. I think it's 30, 35 years, something like that. Since 1987. So long, long, long time. 35. Yeah. So you've got, you got all those players you can look at and get an idea of their scores. Um, you can compare them. We have a compare tool on the site. Um, you can change the scores and see what it would look like. Like if you're wondering, well, what if Justin Fields was six, five, instead of, instead of just nearly six, three, what would his score be? You can do that. We have a calculator on there to do that for every single card. Um, and if you want to just make it look pretty, we've been, I've been working on overlays for everything. So you can, you can pull it up on a Chicago bears card you can pull Justin Fields up on an Ohio State card if you want to now. You can uh, – well, it's not done yet. I'm going to have one for Pro Bowls as well. I have a Hall of Fame one. I have a Hall Ooh. of Fame one you can pull up if you're Fancy. really interested in making it look pretty. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on doing this for not just the NFL but the CFL, the XFL that just started is, is kicking back up. So uh, trying to make everything look nice as well as be functional. So you can always check it out there. Um, outside of that, you can check out my work at Pro Football Network at the Mock Draft Simulator, the ProFootballNetwork.com slash Mock Draft. You can go and, and run as many sims, sims as you want and be your own GM, pick as many Bears players as you want. You know, 31st overall, since there's no 32nd this year. Oh, well, no, first round, 32nd. Mm-hmm. Miami, Miami got in trouble. But. <laughs> It's neither here nor there. <laughs> but, but you can go you can go test that out and, and figure out the types of players that you'd want to pick up. Or you can just pretend you're the Lions and, and get them all the bad players and see how you would build their team. <laughs> it's it's a it's the best of both worlds. But uh listen, Ken Matt Bomb Platty, you always raise the uh, the team GPA where you're on to this show. So we really appreciate that. And I uh, can't wait to talk to you down the road. We appreciate you being on. I love I love being on. You guys can invite me anytime. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with more Buffone 55 right after this. Sundays at the bar. We start off with Mike North and Aldo Gandia on the early bear special. And then it's five bears fanatics on the Barfly tailgate show. That's followed by fantasy football advice from two fantasy football experts. And at halftime and after every bears game, it's bear football. Subscribe to the Barroom Network now. Hey, everyone. It's Aldo Gandhi. I'm filling in for Alyssa Barbieri, and we again wish her all the best down in Florida as they're hitting another severe weather event. I'm glad to see Cliff Victoria in the chat room, so hopefully... Uh, this her hurricane is not affecting him as it did already the previous one. So 
Uh, and now we're ready for our B55 segment. That's where I ask John five Bears-related questions. And then he has 55 seconds to respond to each question. And that, of course, is in honor of his mentor, his uncle, Doug Buffon, who played 15 seasons for the Chicago Bears. And by the way, Doug was also one of my heroes growing up as he played alongside the great Dick Butkus and helped Dick Butkus roam around and uh, make great plays. John, how are you, my friend? Oh, man, I, I love having those kinds of guests on because it's just so enlightening to me and it lets me know like what the human brain is capable of like <laughs> when it was in for me it was all like how much can you bench press that's basically that's where my analytic goes 45s and 45s that's 90 and then you throw the third that's where my math and analytics come from so it's great to see stuff like that because it's just so in-depth and it gives such a different way of grading Mm -hmm. Gotta tell you a quick story. Uh, when I started this whole thing, it was under the banner NFC North Barroom. And so we had a bar room for each of the four NFC North teams. And Kent was the lead writer at the uh, Lions Bar Room. And so I was introduced to him by BJ Rydell, who headed the Vikings bar room. So when I got to meet Kent and learned about RAS and then learned about the process of him manually putting in all of these numbers into some Excel sheet and doing all that studying and doing all that work, I said, holy cow, dude, this is unbelievable. And now I read national publications. I watch ESPN and they're referring to RAS and that's, 2014 when I first met uh, Kent and so it's unbelievable the uh, uh, fame and acclaim that he has gotten for all of his hard work very well deserved absolutely incredible so I'm glad that he was able to take some time to talk to us Hey, I know in uh, the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about our event uh, from mm -hmm. Saturday, but I, I do want to share with all of the barflies one thing that happened at King's entertainment that I think people will find interesting because it hurt a little bit. What happened, John? It turns out I'm not a very good athlete. And, uh, <laughs> I probably should just hang it up right now because this is embarrassing. And I'm embarrassed for myself. I'm embarrassed for my family. And, uh, and the bar room. And, oh, especially the bar room. And so I'd like to announce my retirement from the game of bowling. And uh, thanks for all my supporters out there who've been with me throughout this journey for the last... 15, 20 minutes, but uh, it's gonna be it. <laughs> Please tell me it's not so. Please tell me you're not retiring. That was the first time I had bowled in like 15 years, <laughs> and then <laughs> I got a camera on me putting all the pressure on me. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest though, when I was, I had a strike in the 10th frame, and man, that boot, I think I, it was like I bowled a 111. And that was that was my high score for the uh, for the day. So, uh, yeah, straight nines the whole way through, and then struck uh, struck out in the tenth. So, uh, all that to say, uh, it was that was a that was a hell of a time, man. I, I was I had I had such a good time talking to all the guys in the bar room, uh, bar room. Mike North heckling me while I'm throwing the ball. So, <laughs> wouldn't expect anything less. So, that, that was, was really awesome. cool. <laughs> all right, let's get to our B fifty five segment. The first question is uh, John. You know, you and I have been working together now on this show for, what, six years? And yeah. I have never, ever seen you uh, applaud a moral victory. I'm more on that side, you know, but you never. And so yeah. saw you at this uh, after the game of the uh, Bears loss to the Dolphins, the 35-32 to 32 loss this Sunday. 
And you did not, though, seem very distraught by what happened. So I got to find out from you. You got 55 seconds to do this. I got to find out from you. How were you feeling about the Chicago Bears uh, loss? So uh, 55 up on the clock and you can take it away. Look, I hated that the Bears lost. I think they got hosed on that non-pass interference call, and there were a few other penalties that didn't go their way. But, man, what a fun game to watch. I've been saying that I'd rather them lose like that than lose 12-7 to because what needs to progress for the long-term success of the Chicago Bears keeps progressing. Now, we're going to get to Justin Fields here in a little bit, but we saw Cole Komet catch two touchdown passes. We saw Darnell Mooney get involved. We saw Chase Claypool for the first time in a Bears uniform, and even though he didn't really have a huge impact on the game, we kind of saw how they want to use him moving forward. Uh, Yeah, I've been over moral victories for a while, but if you're a Bears fan, it's hard to come out of that game and not feel enthused. There is a different energy around this team. There's a strong confidence in the coaching staff, the quarterback, and the overall all direction of the franchise when's the last time any of us could say that you are so right about that there you know john i i i think we years from now we'll look back and talk about this game because this was kind of a, a milestone game it was a uh, a flag you know uh in the sand saying we are get really getting this together and it seems like as you just said the players are all buying into what the coaching staff is doing, what the general manager is doing. It's been unsettling, of course, when you trade Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith. Members of the defense were upset, but they're seeing something special here. They get it. This is not, you know, these guys aren't stupid. They understand what Ryan Poles is doing. And so I think all of these players want to be a part of that. And so hopefully that will make them play harder in the upcoming games. It's, it's not just like they're a bad team and there's like hopelessness. You just see that there's something there. And of course, as fans, we want to believe that. So we, you know, we see something and we run with it, but I legitimately see something. I legitimately feel like they're going to be turning a corner soon. And that's exciting to me because I think in the last few years, we thought maybe they were descending rather than ascending. And so I, it's nice to, it's nice to maybe feel like it's going the other direction. Yeah, indeed. All right. Let us get to uh, question number two on our B-55 segment. One thing that the Bears fans are clearly super excited about is the play of quarterback Justin Fields, the second-year quarterback, put in another memorable performance, throwing for three touchdowns and breaking the single-season rushing record for a quarterback with 178 yards, including a 61-yard for a 61-yard for a, a run for a touchdown. John, fans were already feeling good about Fields heading into this game. So I want to know from you, what do you think this performance does for his progression? 55 seconds are on the clock. Uh, So, although you and I were talking about this game after we left Soldier Field, and I was like, this is weird. I feel like the Chicago Bears have a potential superstar quarterback. And I said that very cautiously, by the way. But when the Dolphins head coach and a number of the Miami Dolphins players are talking about how Justin Fields is a star in the making and he's one of the most dynamic players in the NFL, it reinforces our internal conversations as fans that Justin Fields is that dude. Look, I'm not overly concerned about Justin Fields running too much. That's just one more thing that defenses have to fear. And if they get hung up on the running, then that's going 
going to open up more throwing opportunities. As far as the hits go, I've said on multiple occasions, I think running the ball and taking hits doesn't mess him up nearly as much as getting smoked in the pocket when he doesn't see it coming. We are seeing a Bears offense score points. We are seeing a Bears offense that is currently much more efficient than some of the other teams in the division. So we can be excited about this. Indeed. You know, one of the things that uh, this whole Justin Fields story narrative should be proving and, and illustrating to fans and especially the national media who had kind of written off Justin Fields is that patience and context and, and so many other things are, need to be considered before you make an evaluation of somebody. And sometimes, you know, particularly, and I, I know I'm sort of switching subjects here, but the national media, they're paid to come up with, you know, hot topics and, 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 and statements that are going to get you clicks and, and so forth. But you know what? It's better if you say, be patient. Let's wait on what this guy what we can see this guy do and not do. Let's wait for the offense to really get their system in place and for the players to learn it and so forth. If that would have happened, a lot of the naysayers of Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears were saying it was going to be the worst offense and the team was going to be uh, vying for the first round draft pick, the first pick of the first round. They would have you know, really saved face with this, wouldn't they? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And listen, I'm not going to ever claim that I'm a very patient person. Because <laughs> I, 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 there are plenty times where I just emotionally react to something. And then upon thinking about what I said, like, huh, was that a prisoner of the moment statement I just made? And a lot of times, yes, it is. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. Patience is going to pay off in this case. I truly believe that whenever we were talking the first few weeks where they weren't letting them throw and, you know, everything kind of looked discombobulated. I really just think that was a gauging process for not just the quarterback, but for the offensive coordinator to see what he had and what was working and what wasn't. And then we saw a, a game plan progressing and a, a, a scheme progressing and a philosophy progressing in front of our eyes. And now we're seeing the fruits of that labor. All right. Question number three, and there's only one way to introduce this question. It is from your uncle. This defense sucks. Yes, they do. <laughs> oh, God, I was hoping you'd have that ready to go. <laughs> One thing Bears fans are not excited about is this defense because they do suck. Normally, if a team, if a Bears team scores 32 points, it would be easy to assume that they won. However, this team has given up 84 points in the past. I can't even count up to 84. <laughs> given up 84 points in the last two games. How concerned are you, John Buffon? about this defense you got 55 seconds uh well it's just great to hear that sound bite by the way but it's going to be quite concerning for the rest of the season no Roquan Smith no Robert Quinn we knew it was going to be difficult but it's a little concerning that uh Alan Williams isn't making any adjustments or taking any chances he's sticking with that pretty vanilla cover too uh and this was a complaint last week and I gave him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he didn't think he had the talent to do anything different but I'm coming around on the idea that you have to change something you can't keep doing what you're doing right now I know you don't like the blitz, but you're getting no push and your opponents are carving you up. So why not send the house and see if you can get a sack or a fumble or force a throw or something? I know that's not the most technical answer in the world, but what's the worst that can happen? They score 35, they score 49. Oh, wait, they already happened. So I hope we see some kind of new wrinkle against the Lions because we know that they have the capability of scoring some points. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, for this week's Buffon's, ba Buffon's Basement because Danny Shimon is uh, going to join us. And while I was at the game at halftime, I think I 
I, I texted Danny and said, what is going on with this defense? And he was telling me no pressure. Yeah, and, and I'm surprised Allen Williams isn't dialing things up. You know, if you're going to get burned on every play, at least get burned, you know, blitzing the quarterback and putting pressure on him. And so I totally agree with them. I hopefully expect that Allen Williams is going to come up with something. Now, it's always about the players, right? It's first and foremost, they have to execute whatever is being called. But it sure would help if what is being called uh, would help the players a little around yeah, the just, I, If it take, I know that I know it's not a system based on pressure, but you just can't sit back and watch everyone just pick you apart either. So mm-hmm. some something needs to change there. Indeed. All right. So here we go to question number four. Uh, since the Bears play the Lions this Sunday, it is time to turn our attention to the NFC North. Though it seems like the Vikings are going to easily run away with the division in 2022, but as far as the future of the division goes, it looks like it could be up for grabs as early as next year. Next year. John, what is your assessment of the NFC North for 2023 and beyond? 55 seconds starts now. Well, when what we're seeing is basically four teams going in four wildly different directions. The Lions were a scrappy team that everyone fell in love with on Hard Knocks, but I'm not totally convinced Dan Campbell will be there next year. And if they have a top five pick, they may be inclined to draft the quarterback. And do you want your rookie quarterback paired with a lame duck head coach? I say no. So maybe the Detroit rebuild goes back to square one. Uh, Then Minnesota is clearly going to win the division this year. They have great weapons on offense. But with Kirk Cousins, it just never feels like they're going to be in that elite Super Bowl favorite conversation. Don't get me wrong. They're a hell of a team, but it just feels like they are maintaining rather than ascending. Uh, And we know that Green Bay is kind of rudderless right now. Here's a team that was supposed to be a Super Bowl contender, but their $50 million quarterback can't find his groove. Their receiving core is inexperienced, and that highly touted defense uh, has been a disappointment then you have the bears with a budding quarterback solid coaching strong draft capital and enough cap space to buy a small country so yeah things uh things could change pretty quickly pretty quickly you know what's amazing is that on paper to me it looks like the detroit lions and the green bay packers and of course the minnesota vikings have more talent than the chicago bears but right now the chicago bears are playing at better than the Green Bay Packers, better than the Detroit Lions, and probably close to where the Vikings are. So this is so promising. I mean, it, and it is a big, big applause and check mark and plus and A plus uh, for the coaching staff. You know, from the very beginning at preseason, we saw something different when this team won three preseason games. We saw a team that was coll- a collection of players from all across the league with one-year contracts playing disciplined football and really buying into this whole corny hits philosophy. And so this team could be the best coach team in the NFC North and possibly the NFC. So it's a good sign, isn't it? Oh, you're getting me excited, Aldo. Don't say <laughs> it. Don't. No. All right. Okay. All right. I can, we can, we can, we can keep going that way. I like it. And it's, you know, it's, 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 I'll be honest. It hasn't all it, the last three years. It always hasn't been exciting to be a bears fan. And now there's stuff to look forward to. And that's mm-hmm. that's what's sticking with me right now. That's why I'm not such a, a curmudgeon right now, because there's actually things to be hopeful for. Uh, we, well, we'll always miss the curmudgeon side, but we'd happily trade it for a Super Bowl victory. <laughs> Any day of the week. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Let's turn off the clock for this last one. Uh, this is a football-related question, but it's also not football-related, John. So 
you drove a total of 13 hours from Pennsylvania, your home state, to come to Chicago this weekend, and you fit in a, as about as much activity as possible in three days. So I want to know, how would you grade your trip to Chicago? And again, the clock is off. It's all yours, brother. Wow. Uh, what a weekend. It was just incredible. Uh, I was able to visit some family in Chicago. I went to a Smashing Pumpkins concert, which was incredible. Uh, I went to the Bears game in beautiful Chicago weather in November in an awesome atmosphere and got to see history be made with Justin Fields breaking the single game rushing record for a quarterback. And of course, the Barroom Network event was absolutely amazing. Being able to interact with all of you face-to-face, -face, seeing some folks that have listened to this show since its inception, hanging out with other Barroom hosts whom I've never met in person. It was just it was just awesome. I was able to cross so much off of my bucket list, and I have to thank Aldo and especially his wife for welcoming me into their home, conducting their house like a bed and breakfast, and just being the foundation of this awesome community of Bears fans that continues to grow. Uh, and I'm just so proud and grateful, and I can't wait to do it again. Look, there's a lot of toxic things that come from the internet and social media, but this, this is one of the great things that can come of it. So thank you, Barflies. Thank you, Aldo. And thank you, Chicago. I'll be back soon, and we'll be back right after this. be accountable to yourself you got to be fair to yourself and say hey you know i i screwed up here and this is where i got to get better you know like eq has that drop on that play he should never have dropped that ball okay but he did okay not, not, then you can get into the the uh the two interference calls on the bears which i thought were atrocious and then the non-call on claypool which was even worse I mean, that, he was literally getting a, a, a uh, <laughs> looked like they were doing a Heimlich maneuver with him or something, you know? Exactly, or something X-rated. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, um, yeah, I like that X-rated one. They, uh, they didn't call it, you know. So, but there's nothing you can do about it. I, I, I tweeted out during the game. Yeah, you're going to get a letter from the league on Wednesday saying, "Yeah, we made a mistake. That should have been a call." Big fucking deal. Welcome back to Buffone 55. Like Aldo said earlier, with Alyssa unavailable for Buffone's basement, Aldo, you suggested we bring in Danny Shimon. I think that's a hell of an idea to talk about some of the latest hot topics around the Chicago Bears. So let's get him in here. Danny, come on in. Welcome to Buffone's basement and Buffone 55. How you doing, brother? Man, this is a nice basement. Holy cow. I, I, know, I know you have a, pla a palatial estate, but this basement is like fancy. <laughs> Just get, check is in the mail, Danny. We appreciate, we appreciate you What's going on, on, guys? Oh, not much. We're just talking some bears. And I, I love having you on shows because you're able to give that more detailed analytical mind to some of the things going on around the Chicago Bears. Although I know you got some plays queued up and I kind of just want to jump right into them. I believe the first one was the touchdown pass to Mooney. And Danny, I, I know you were watching the game in detail. So can you take us through 
what Justin Fields was doing, maybe what he was seeing, and maybe doing some things that he wouldn't have done earlier in the season. Aldo, you got that queued up? Or am I should I? Yeah, just- and, be- okay. and before we if we can just pull up this this the still shot there, Aldo, before I run it, I just wanted to say here. So basically, John, what I will look here, and, and this is what Fields is getting knocked on, right? Everyone says, Oh, Fields can make plays in a pocket, he's just a running quarterback. Well, here I give you exhibit A. So first of all, I like to see what's he looking at pre-snap, right? Looks like like looks like the uh, Dolphins have six guys at the line of scrimmage here, all right. And he's got it. It looks like they're playing a single high safety. The guy's kind of shading over towards the boundary in terms of the safety. You know, if they bring six guys, he's gonna have to get rid of the ball quickly. Or if they drop back guys, what's that safety doing? You know, what, are they trying to disguise anything? So this is what you're gonna look for here. Primary guy we have circled there is Darnell Mooney. We're going to run it here, Aldo. The, the Dolphins yeah. drop drop back two guys and keep one guy in the spy. So right now, and now you see the safety kind of shifting in the middle of the football field between the hash marks. Now uh, he knows, uh, 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 um, Fields knows that he's got Mooney because of his route. The only thing now, he's got to execute the throw. And this is where I'm talking about in terms of ball placement, accuracy, and putting it in a spot where only his receiver can get to it. So he knows, look, right, the ball's already out of his hands. Mooney hasn't even got to the end zone yet. And he puts it to a spot where only Darnell Mooney can make a play on the football. Even if Xavier Howard turns his head around and looks at that ball, he cannot make a play of the ball. So this is where you throw it to a spot where either your receiver comes down with it for a touchdown or it's an incomplete pass. And by the way, Bradley Chubb is bearing down on him on, on, his, on his left side there too. So in the pocket, stands tall, takes the hit, shows the toughness that we all know he has, and puts the ball in terms of, placement accuracy and timing right to a perfect spot this is exhibit a in terms of justin fields making plays from the pocket now this is where i've seen him do this kind of stuff at ohio state that's why i was so excited about him coming out now is he doing this on a consistent basis no we have another play where i can show you some different things where where he could get a little bit better at but with more reps with more continued growth and development in the pocket this kid can make these plays. It's just a matter of giving him that experience and just letting him and now watching him do it on a more consistent basis. But here I give you exhibit A for all those people who are telling me that Justin Fields cannot make plays from the pocket. Bam, perfect throw right here. You know what I love about this, excuse me, uh, John, is it's just not Chubbs. The entire pocket is closing in on him, and he would normally uh, – uh, shift his shoulders, left shoulder towards the goal line, and then take off. No, he stood in here and made a professional throw, and as Danny said, right on the dime. Sorry, John. No, no, no problem. Danny, I, I was wondering because the a knock, or at least the, the narrative that people were building around fields early in the season was he just can't pull the trigger. He holds on to the ball too long. He can't. He doesn't get rid of the ball. But it seems like that certainly wasn't the case on that play. Like he 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 took a key, he saw something, and he made a decision. Is that something that has progressed through the season? On on this play, yes. And on, on another play, I'll show you where where it, there is a point where you say, all right, he, he he had to pull the trigger quickly there, but he didn't do it. However, what what's happening here, John, is it's it's the repetition. He's he's seeing this more and more now. He's getting more comfortable in terms of you know being able to stand back there in the pocket. Now, if this was week two or three or four. He probably would have just tucked the ball and tried to run and probably would have taken a sack or probably just, you know, something bad would have happened, right? But he knew what was happening. He, he saw, he diagnosed pre-snap what's going to happen. That, the key for a quarterback is, is in this kind of, in this kind of a pre-snap, pre, pre-snap read, what does the safety do? With the safety shifting towards the middle of the football field, he now knows man-to-man coverage, that he knows where Mooney's going. All he has to do is get the ball to that spot. And again, the, the placement and, and the accuracy was just spot on. You know, these are things that we're going to see him as he gets more and more comfortable doing on a more consistent basis is what I believe. 
So the next play I want to talk about is the one that just set Soldier Field on fire. And obviously it was a big contribution to Justin Fields breaking the single game rushing record for a quarterback. That would have been the uh, 60, 61 yard run that he had here. So in your analytical mind of breaking down tape, what what goes through Justin Fields' mind here? And then what does he see to ultimately have one of the biggest plays of the game? Well, this is the play that 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 it's on every single national media highlight, and they're just blowing it up every you know weekend or day in and day out. You see it over and over again. But this is the I'm going to show you here a, a a piece where once Justin Fields is fully developed in terms of being a pocket quarterback, he this play never should have happened. To be honest with you, right? <laughs> the end result is great. We love what he did, but this there would have there was a much easier throw and play he could have done uh, earlier on this in this process. And the one thing that he's got to get used to, and we talked about him holding on to the football. This offense is such a timing-based rhythm offense that once his third, on his third, third step back or third drop back step, once that back foot hits the, the, the ground, that ball's got to come out. And if we go on and run it here, we've highlighted Darnell Mooney because, again, that's his primary target here. Take a look at it. Once he gets the ball, one, two, three, bam, right there, top it. If, if you could stop it right there, although it would be awesome if we can go back right there. One, two, three, bam. One more, a little bit right there. Now, he, right there, that ball, if you see Mooney's clearing that second-level defender coming over into the middle wide open, there is no safety that's going to come down and take off his head. There is no safety that's going to come down and make a play on the football. Right there, Justin Fields gets rid of that football to Darnell Mooney. Yeah, it's not a 61-yard touchdown run, but it's a first down. It keeps the chains moving, and that's his primary read. That's where he, he should have just got rid of the football. So what he does now is he tries to step up in the pocket, which, you know, he has a good pocket there. Good formation. Could have just taken a couple of shuffle steps up, elevated himself in the pocket, and still made that throw. But what happened was he kind of ducked his pads, ducked his shoulders. Now he's kind of running away from coverage. Now he's trying to throw the ball as he's jumping up in the air, sees Mooney turn his back, and just the athletic prowess and, and, and his ability to just be able to leave his feet, come back down, you know, recoil the football back inside of his body, and now he runs away from seven, eight, you know, Miami defenders. That's the athletic ability. That you know his that gives you that kind of play, but honestly, this play should never happen. He should just throw that football, made that first read. He had to read. He was looking at Mooney right away, and this is what we talked about early on in the season: was he stares down this primary receiver, he sees it happening, but he doesn't just pull the trigger. And here again, the result is great, but this should not have been. This play should not have happened. This is why I'm so happy that we have Danny on the show because while he's looking at all these reads and seeing what's going on, I'm pounding my chest and screaming at the sky, so I don't have time to look at who's actually open. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't even notice that. I, I had, I honest to God, didn't even look at that. Uh, but it's so interesting to see how those things actually develop uh, as the wide receivers are going. And like you said, as he gets more comfortable back there, those are the guy, those are the uh, the reads he's going to make, right? Right, and this is where he takes less pounding because what if he didn't get a run for 61 yards? What if he takes, you know, 12, 10-yard right. run and a guy comes take, and takes a cheap shot at him? So now he's got to open himself up to, to, to injuries and all that stuff. So this is where, again, the end result, great. I'm not you know, trying to say that. I, I was screaming and hollering here in my living room as well when I saw that. But once you open up the all 22, you kind of take a look and see, all right, what were the options? What was he looking at? The fact that he stares down the receiver, sees it come open, you know, he's got a clean pocket, rip it. Rip it, take that easy first down, and move on to the, to the next play. And that's what he's going to have to continue to get better at in terms of you know his pocket presence, his ability to make plays in the pocket. And I, and it's going to happen. I'm not trying to knock him or anything. I just it takes some time, and it, and, it's, and we, he's getting better. We've seen Alden and I have broken down tapes from 
weeks one through four, and we've seen a marked improvement in terms of we just saw that in a previous clip, right? The play from the from the pocket, the anticipation, the ball placement. It's gonna happen. It's just there's times where you still see him kind of just like holding on to the football because he's a great athlete, because he knows he can get away from these guys. He tends to hold on and just looks for a bigger, bigger opportunity. Just, or if he doesn't feel right, he just doesn't let go of the football so far. But once he gets over that, once he starts making these throws on, on a routine and on a more consistent basis, the sky's the limit. This is why he's such an extraordinary player because there could be a mistake by the receiver on the route or there could be a mistake of his of his own making where he doesn't spot the open receiver and so forth, but he can still make tremendous plays because of his athleticism. And this is, you know, I, I'm reminded a little bit of Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler was a competitor who would always try to force things because he wanted to win so badly and he wanted to excel and be great, but he made terrible decisions. Uh, Fields now is making some uh, not terrible decisions, but the, he's making some decisions that aren't within the schematics of what Luke Getze wants him to perform but he's still kind of getting away with them because of that tremendous athleticism and helping the Bears offense be uh, the hottest offense in the NFL. The, the difference between Cutler and Fields, Cutler would try to force the ball. So he'd put the ball in harm's way. Fields is not doing that. Fields is just putting his body in harm's way because he's going to go ahead and tuck the ball and run with the football. So that's, that's the difference there between those two. All right. We got one more play I want you to look over, Danny. I believe it was the Equinemius St. Brown drop here. Right. So can you take us through pre-snap all the way to the conclusion? Yeah, so obviously 4th and 10, final play of, of, of this, what turned out to be the final play of the series or of the game. And again, you know, they're looking like so they're, they're going to bring some pressure here. You know, they're, they're lining up in, in, a, in a more of a disguise, got a single safety up top there. And what Justin knows, the one other thing I want to point out on this play, and the reason I picked this play is, is just 4th and 10, the calmness, the, the the demeanor that he's not rushing. He's not, it's just like he's, he's, you know, if you're going to run this play, it's just like, it's, it's a regular, you know, play at the park, you know, a Turkey bowl, you know, we're, we're all thinking, getting together here for Thanksgiving, making this play feels pressure coming in from, from both sides, both right and left escapes the pocket, just casually runs to it, right? Full speed, right? Full speed. And just you know, throws an accurate ball, leading the receiver away from the defender, hits him perfectly in his hands. Unfortunately, EQ drops the football, but just the fact that he's just so, so calm in the pocket, he's not dancing and wiggling and all that stuff and getting all hyped up and, and just, you know, losing himself. That's what I wanted to show. Now, if we have a chance to go back and start off from the beginning there, Aldo, if you, if you can do that, you know, I, I, I do want to nitpick a little bit. So if we, if we go back and run it, if we, if we can stop it at the top of his drop, one, two, three, bam, right there, stop it. All right, so you see the safety again. He's, tra he's trailing more toward the middle of the football field. He's in between the hash marks. That is Claypool up there one-on-one -on -one with, with that corner who's now turned himself around. So you know Claypool's got that inside leverage here. All you got to do is let it rip to Claypool, and you got a nice big completion. So you don't have to go to necessarily to St. Brown. But the thing is I gave him a little slack here because that is Claypool's first game. They haven't had much practice reps. This is more of a timing and rhythm throw. He's got to know where Claypool's going to break that route off. And he's got to know where to place a football. So, but if this, you know, this is what say week 12 or whatever, and Claypool's had some time with Justin, I expect him to at that top of his drop there, plant that foot. And because Claypool has the inside leverage, no safety in the middle of the football field, corners turning his, his back around, is turning all, all the way on, looking to the, the sidelines. This is where he throws that ball to Claypool. Nice big completion. But again, doesn't go there. Goes more the, the route where he escapes pressure, but still maintains his calmness and throws a nice ball on the run. Just kind of flicks it. Perfect. Throw, leads the receiver away from the defender. Unfortunately, EQ drops the ball. 
and should have been caught. I mean that 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 should have been moving the change, and they should have had another opportunity to win that ball game. That's it's a, and if you're in that situation, I St. Brown is what technically you're number three right now, I guess, uh, depending on how you want to see the depth chart. But that's a that's a catch you got to make. That's a catch you got to go if you want to win the game. Those are catches you got to make. So it's uh, unfortunate. Fields did what he had to do to keep the chains moving, and it and it just didn't work out. Uh, but I do want to stay on that topic of, of Justin Fields and his progression because Danny, you've been looking at film of this guy all year. <laughs> and so, and, and a lot of, uh, national analysts have not. And so, uh, when they, when I hear someone say, well, he runs really well, but he still hasn't proven that he can throw the ball, which I believe I heard today on a national show and, and uh, that, yeah, he he's running, but he's a great athlete, but he's still not showing that he can be a quarterback. Uh, what do you say to that notion? Those are people who are not watching an entire football game. They're watching the stats, right? They, mm-hmm. they see Justin Fields ran for 178 yards, set a record for a quarterback rushing, but he only threw for 100, what was it, 123 yards, averaging 4.4 yards a, a completion. So that's what they're doing. But but if you watch this kid and we just, you know, we've been watching him throughout the year, you see the way now he's progressing, right? We just showed you a couple of plays from the pocket there. We see the way now, yeah, he's using his legs now because he he's becoming an extra weapon there out on the football field. And now it, it's allowing – other guys to, to come open and, and for Getty to be able to scheme other guys open. And but once this offense is completely built around him in terms of receivers, in terms of offensive line, once he gets more comfortable in terms of pocket, this kid has no problem throwing a football. We just showed you right there uh, on the run to his right, you know, fourth and 10, you know, ball game, critical situation, flicks a, a, a beautiful ball, leading his, the receiver away from his defender, you know, accurate throw. And we just showed you the earlier play with, with Donald Mooney making a nice, you know, uh, ball placement throw and all that anticipation, everything like that. So the kid can make throws. He can make, make these plays. These national guys are, who are doing these, these, uh, these, you know, uh, hits at, at, at fields. They don't watch him every, every snap in snap out. You know, they, they just look at this, the stats and say, Oh, he ran for 178 yards and only threw for 123. This guy can't throw the football. This guy's only uh, a running quarterback. He's not a running quarterback. He is a multi-dimensional threat in the backfield. He's a football player. I mean, you know, some quarterbacks are just like, oh, he's a, this guy's a quarterback. No, this guy's a football player. He can make plays with his legs. He can make plays with his arms. Uh, and this guy is, is, is a competitor. He's a guy that's going to go out there and lay it out on line for his, for his teammates. And one thing, I don't know if you guys noticed that at, at the game, but I noticed it, and, and some I think someone may, may have pointed it out, the first person that went to – or sorry, actually, I think second person, once uh, EQ got on the sidelines after that drop pass – was Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. He went back to EQ, said, tapped him, said, hey, don't worry about it. You know, and that's leadership. That's a sure. guy saying, all right, I'm going to come back to you again. You made plays for me before. Don't worry about it. Right. And and just that, that's just showing, you know, his, his ability now to kind of take over, be a leader. And that's why uh, something that Tyler and I talked in a post game show saying, hey, this guy is now becoming the face of the franchise. He's comfortable. He knows he's, he's getting there. Right. He's not there fully, but he's getting there. And I think this is, is this more of him just developing here overall on and off the football field? You know, we saw Chase Claypool get put in the game and he got some snaps, got a couple of catches there. Uh, just the way they use him, they tr- they tried to use, get him on a on a, a bubble screen once, drop the mm-hmm. ball, uh, and then they obviously wanted him to get vert- in vertical. And he said numerous on a numerous occasions while he was in Pittsburgh that he wants to run more go routes. Uh, right. So uh, how do you envision, as he gets a little more acclimated with the offense, how do you see them using him? Is it just get the ball in his hand and let him make plays, or do you see them really sending him as the vertical guy because they already have Mooney, who they'd like that to be as well? 
Right. No, I, I mean, eventually, once he gets settled into the offense, and we might see some more expansion of, of, his, of his play this this week here versus Detroit. I think initially what you're going to do is what you saw on Sunday, right? You're going to do a quick hitter, smoke screen, slip screens, get the ball in his hands, maybe on a jet sweep, you know, hand the ball off to him, let him use some of that, you know, that physique, that, that physicality after the run and, and make some some plays. You know, there was, a, there was a play where he cut the ball short of the first down, broke a tackle and, and started, you know, 12 yard up the football field for a first down. You know, plays like that, you know, those short hitters. And then also, even if, if he's not the intended receiver on a play, hey, you line him up on the outside and let him run a, let him run a grow out, he's going to take a defender with him, possibly even a safety, because of the size, the speed, the dimension that he brings to the football field, something the Bears did not have before. So, And I, I've said before, like if I see him one-on-one coverage on the outside, I don't care who's out there covering him. You know, He's 6'4", you know, 240 with a 40-inch vertical. I'm throwing a ball up there to him and just let him see if he can make, the fo- make a you know, play on the football. That's what I would do. And I think that's what they're, they're doing uh, in that play where they, they didn't call the, the, uh, the pass interference. Uh, I think that's what they're trying to do is just get the ball down the field and have him go up there and make a play on the football. So that's what I would do. I think we'd see – we're going to see more and more of his role expand. And I think once you see – him getting some catches, you see some some that, that that secondary kind of coverage drifting towards his way. Now we're going to see guys like Mooney and St. Brown, even Pettis, come clear and get more and more opportunities. On, on we already saw Cole Komet in, in the first game with 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 uh, with Claypool out there and Mooney out there, all with kind of a full complement, if you will, of weapons. Komet scored two touchdowns there too, and then and then that first touchdown that that was one I, I was was going to give to Aldo to kind of break down here as well. Terrific play design there by uh, by Getty, where, where he's got Komet. Think, they've got the defense thing, Komet's blocking, but he kind of just slips out in the back and comes right open. And now now you, you have Fields coming out, rolling out, wide open, Komet, easy touchdown, pitch and catch. So you know, I, I, I'm just loving the, what Getty's doing so far. Give him more weapons and let him just try and scheme more of these guys open. Uh, I think it's, uh, the best is yet to come. Now, if we can just stop them – from, from scoring yeah. 35 points, you know, yeah, you know, we, we could get, get some of these victories here because like right now I was looking at the schedule, the bears can compete with every single one of these players, oh, yeah. every single one of these teams on their schedule, they can score points on them. It's just, mm-hmm. can you stop them from scoring points on you? And there's a schedule right there. They, they got, uh, Detroit this week at home. I love this spaceship graphic we have. It never gets old here. But uh, they got Detroit at home, and they got they go to Atlanta, and then to the Jets. And it's not like Green Bay's a world beater right now. And they got them at Soldier Field before right. it gets a little sticky with uh, Philadelphia and Buffalo. Right. But other the next than, four games other, are fine. Other than the Eagles and, and the Bills, there isn't a team I can just say right now. The Bears cannot beat this team, right? Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. They're they they if they can score points like this. Now, here's the, here's the thing. And this is the same show that I was that I saw earlier today. I believe it was on FS1 where uh they said that you know what? Yeah, we're talking about how good how good Fields is, but they lost the game. And I'm thinking to myself since when all we talk about is how wins should not be a quarterback stat. And I'm like, and what do you want him to do? Like, did you want him to score 50 points against the Cowboys? Did you want it? Did you want him to, he play linebacker against the dolphins? I, so it, it, it crushes me because he still won NFC player of the week. Right. And on a right. losing team, which is mm-hmm. really, oh, you had a That's hell a of a, yeah, you had a hell of a game. If you were the NFC player of the week and you lost the game. Uh, so it, it just, it, kills me that there's still people that are clutching to well they lost they got to start winning he's it's, it's an 11 a 22 person uh team that, that everyone has right. to do their part and that's that's why which leads me to the defense which had me screaming my head up i'm sure aldo you were not very thrilled while you were at the game watching this defense get carved up uh, nope. this defense sucks 
<laughs> you can play it as many times as you want. It'll I never get old. That That is always allowed on this show. Even whenever it doesn't apply to the conversation, just throw that damn soundbite in there anytime. It just makes my heart so warm. But... Danny, it's my opinion, and tell me because listen, I'm not I'm not a defensive coordinator, but when I see a four three cover two, pretty soft, just getting carved up like a Thanksgiving turkey, and you're not getting any push on the quarterback, my thought process is, you know what? If you're getting beat up anyway, or you're just giving up yards anyway, why not send some pressure? So if, even if you are getting beat up, or you're they're carving up your defense. Maybe one of those blitzers get through and you get a fumble, or maybe you get an errant throw and Eddie Jackson can go up and get an interception. Why not take some more chances? Because it's not like they're holding teams to 10, 12, 11, whatever points. They're still giving up a lot of points. Why not at least have that chance that you could make a game breaker kind of play on defense? Right. And that, I'm with you. And I, I, I think I tweeted it out on, on Sunday. I'm like, all right, listen, uh, Alan Williams, I know this, this defense is based off of your front four guys getting pressure, but guess what? Even with Robert Quinn, even with uh, um, Roquan Smith, they weren't getting pressure consistently up front with your front four guys. All right. Two was carving you up. I understand they got the, the two, the two big play receivers out there and you want to drop back and, and, and kind of cover. But if, if they got the quarterback got seven, eight seconds in the pocket, I don't care how good your defensive secondary is. And I think the bears have a pretty damn good young defensive secondary developing here. I don't care how good they are. He's going to find holes in the, in, in the, in that zone. And that's what they're doing. They're dropping these, these, you know, 10, 12, 15 yard chunk plays here where, where Hill and, and, and Waddle and Gaseki were just kind of sitting in the middle of the, and finding these holes and he was just hitting them on, on time. So what you got to do, especially with a quarterback like Tua, who's an undersized quarterback, you got to just pressure him. Now, I'm not saying you got to bring a blitz on every single down, but you got to you know, do something, right? You you, either, you you come up with that with that uh, the two linebacker look and, and that A gap, that that mug look, if you will, and maybe bring one of them, drop one of them back. Maybe, you know, I've seen Brisker come in on on, on blitzes off the edge you do that you know play some stunts play some games you you gotta bring pressure you're getting burned anyway you're getting burned anyway just go ahead and, and bring pressure and kind of get to off his off his mark there and what happened on that fourth down play they brought pressure they, i think they brought britzker on uh, off the edge there and Tua kind of hurt his throw incomplete pass fourth down the bears get the ball back the, the chance to go and win the football game you got to do that especially for a quarterback like Tua. if he sits back in the pocket and just has time to throw he's gonna carve you up because it's accuracy and all that stuff. So you bring pressure, especially in this phase, on these undersized quarterbacks, and they're going to hurry up their, their process. They're going to move their feet, shovel their feet. Next thing you know, it's an errant throw. You might have an interception, and, and now you're going the other way for either a touchdown or at least the, the very worst. You give your offense back the football, and they can't be stopped, and now mm -hmm. they can go back and, and try and score. Interesting question here from Rock Davis says, do you think the head coach is telling Williams not to blitz and play soft? Do you, how much impact do you think Eberflus has on Allen Williams or the game plan? Because it's been my thought, or maybe, and I could be wrong, that Eberflus kind of lets his coordinators coordinate the game and he doesn't have too much control. Do you think that he has anything to do with this? Or do you think he needs to take control of this and say, hey, this ain't working. Start sending some people in. Cause I think it's more of the latter where he needs to step in and say, listen, this is too vanilla. We got to change it. Right. So Eva Flutes and Williams and the defensive staff put together the game plan during the week. And then I think Eva Flutes leaves Alan Williams to call the plays. Right. But being the head coach, you, he can always come and say, listen, blitz here. You know, if, even if Williams doesn't want to blitz, what, what the head coach calls for a blitz, guess what? The defensive coordinator is going to call a blitz. So Eva Flutes can always, you know, override 
the, the defensive call by Williams. But I, I think, I, I, you know, I think he lets Williams do, do the play calling and run that defense. And if he needs to chime in, I think he chimes in. I got to say that this week against the Detroit Lions, a lot of people are talking about, well, what happens if Justin Fields comes, sort of comes back down to earth and has an average or below average game against the Detroit Lions? I'm really not too concerned about that. I, I do think that the Bears are going to reach their average or close to their average of 30 points per game over, that they've achieved over the last three games. What I'm more concerned about now is the defense's play against the Detroit Lions. And there's been a lot of disruption to this defense. Two of the team leaders were traded in the last two weeks, Robert Quinn and then Roquan Smith. I can, I sort of, I can sense and I can uh, empathize with the fact that this team, their, their soul has been sort of ripped out by losing two team leaders and two guys who were productive in their own ways, not necessarily maybe being all pro. Robert Quinn certainly wasn't putting up the 18 and a half sacks, but it definitely affected the mindset of these defensive players. So now, though, is the time that they got to get it together. They should be galvanized by this Miami Dolphins game in two ways. One, what the offense did to propel this uh, uh, team into national prominence, and two, their own awful performance against the Dolphins and say to themselves, look at themselves in the mirror and say, we can be better than this. Jack Sanborn will play better. All of these replacement players uh, who are filling in for Quinn now and, and Smith should be playing better. And Jalen Johnson shouldn't be burned like he uh, was. So this is a critical game for the defense against the, this Detroit Lions team that had a great start offensively to the season, but has been playing more to what expectations were uh, and not playing great offensive football in the last two, three weeks. Yeah, and we kind of are just burying the fact that the the Bears gave up a punt block for for a touchdown, which uh, I, I don't know if it's just because we assumed the Dolphins were going to score anyway if we punt the if the the Bears punt the ball, but like that's lost in this whole thing that they gave up a bad special teams turnover touchdown, which ultimately played a big role in this game because you get if you punt it and then get a you know you you force a punt on the other end, maybe they don't maybe the score is not. Uh, what it turned out to be, but also that you know you, that shows the margin for error with this team. You cannot give up those kind of plays because the defense is going to give up a lot of uh, going to give up a lot of points. Which Danny, does that? I know you've been harping for the Bears to use their first overall pick on a three technique. Uh, is is this just kind of solidifying your opinion? Yeah, the first first overall pick, three technique or or defensive end or or attack from both free agency and and the uh, and and the draft. I mean, right now, like I'm I'm looking at the free agent list, and unless they they franchise tag him, but Deron Payne from Washington looks really nice in that middle of that defense. Even even a, a guy like Sheldon Rankins that that that's playing with the, with the Jets will look really nice in that in that middle of that defensive line for for the Bears. So there's just a couple of guys that free agents I, I know off the top of my head, and and again, you, you're gonna have to attack this from multiple fronts. And I think defense now takes top priority. Uh, obviously, you still want to get a uh, receiver, uh, a weapon for Justin Fields. You still want to get some more offensive linemen, but I think I think defense has got to be the top priority. And and again, in, ter in terms of your your the question you pose, although people are worried about if Justin Fields has a so-so game, you know what? It's it's going to happen. He's going to have a so-so game. But this is why you go rely on your running a game, your rushing yeah. attack. You have a two-headed monster in, in Montgomery and, and Herbert, and that's the one thing I'm afraid I, I don't want to happen is that the Bears see all the success now, you know, Getzy and everybody else in terms of what Justin is doing and they totally forget about 
you know, uh, Herbert and, and, and Montgomery. I think Montgomery only had like, what, 15 carries? Uh, he had 14 carries. Herbert had seven carries last week. So now a lot of times they were trailing, but they were never down by like 20 or 30 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were mostly like 11 or something like that, two, two score leads there for Miami. And then Justin was just doing his thing on the field. And I think they just kind of went with it. But, you know, don't forget about those that rushing attack. You are a running team. Everything you build offensively is based off of that a run game and the play action. Just don't forget about that. Rely on that. Defensively, you're gonna have to stop the run against Detroit. You know they got you know uh, a Swift is gonna be DeAndre Swift's gonna be back this week, I believe. Jamal Williams is a beast in, in between the tackles. And so you know defensively, I know Miami only had uh, 77 yards rushing, but they only had 23 carries. So I don't think they really gave you an effort in terms of really sticking to the run game. But if Detroit comes in here hell bent on running the football. You know, the Bears are going to have to do something in terms of, you know, showing up that run defense and making sure, you know, that they, they can at least, you know, secure the run and then worry about, you know, in terms of the, what Detroit can do uh, passing the football. So we'll see how that goes there as well. And just very quickly regarding the this the identity of this team is it, that it's a running team. The identity for the offense is that it's a running team. And one of the things that I it, that makes that even more intriguing is with the addition of Chase Claypool, that gives them another huge wide receiver who is very adept at blocking. You put him with Nikhil Harris, Equinemius St. Brown. You got Cole Komet, one of the better blocking tight ends in pro football. You've got outstanding downfield blockers for this offensive team, and that adds to this identity. And those guys can become better, uh, more proficient at, at catching passes, and so that gives some some nuance to this running team that these big blocking wide receivers can also burn you and doesn't have to be with separation. It's just because they've got long catch radiuses and and that's just going to help further the identity of this team. To me, it's pretty exciting. I touched on earlier, that first touch on the Komet. Komet came off looking like he was blocking. He's actually blocking a guy. And next thing you know, he releases and he goes out to the field, to the flat. He comes Feels out, and they, so I say they they're building their passing attack off of the running the rushing game. That's that's what I'm talking about. Cool. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to hit on before we start talking about score predictions is was, Danny, we you've always been the uh, voice of reason with Cole Komet, and I I like to listen to that voice because he's always his aspiration was to be Kyle Rudolph, not Travis Kelsey. So before people start thinking like, oh my God, we got this big vertical guy that's going to set the world on fire. Please, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in the most uh, endearing way, please be the wet blanket here and <laughs> let us know what Colcomo was actually doing. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's like, and that's one, I don't know if, uh, that's what I said when he came out of Notre Dame. I, I said, this guy's more Kyle Rudolph than he is Travis Kelsey or, or Rob Kronkowski. That was my comp for him. And, and what, that's not a bad thing, right? No. Kyle Rudolph is a nice big target in, in, in the red zone. And, and I think what Cole Komet has done now is he's a guy that can, can build off of this, right? In terms of his inline blocking. Now, now they're, they're flanking him out a little bit more into the, in terms of the slot. He's not a guy that's going to really threaten that seam, if you will. You know, he's a guy that after the run after the catch is phenomenal. He's always, you know, takes two or three defenders to bring him down. So again, just just do what you're doing now with him. Kind of sneak him onto the fat, flats. You know, uh, scheme him open like you're doing, and let Justin get these easy, nice throws to him. You know, five, ten yards, and let him do the rest of it. So, and again, in in the red zone. Now, I don't know if that was this past week. Obviously, the two touchdowns is is a career game for him. I, I just I just want to know if and I have to go back and kind of look at the tape again and just kind of hone in on him. Is the presence of Claypool what kind of allowed him to get open there, or was it just the the natural you know maturation of him in this offense and and Getty now getting more and more creative in terms of how we use him? I love the fact they gave him that that jet sweep on a tight end jet sweep. He got about six seven yards, and then he came back down. Now this is where 
I've seen KC use Kelsey where the Kelsey is on under center, yeah. grabs the ball and snaps it and then gets that, you know, rushes for a one yard for a first down. So I like the creativity. And again, you, you, with Claypool not being out of there for a full week and a half, you know, what's Getsy going to do in terms of getting him more involved in the offense? So, you know, uh, going back to Cometo, your original question, John, he's an inline blocking tight end, is developing into one of the better inline blocking tight ends. And that's just fine because mm -hmm. you're going to need those guys. And, you may need to go get yourself a, a split, you know, tight end or a joker. They, they like to call him, you know, maybe a guy like a Mike Gusecki is a free agent. Be, he's you know? just going to say he's a free agent. Let's go he's get free him. You know, that's a perfect compliment to a Kokomet. You're going to have two, three tight end formations, right? Might as well get a weapon there like a Gusecki or, or someone to that ilk. And in terms of like, I can kind of get in the middle of the football field, stretch those seams, give you another weapon now in the middle of the field to go along with Comet, not replacing him. Yeah, that uh, that direct snap where he got the the first down, I was like, like, what is this? This is a new wrinkle. But you know what? He's six six, about five thousand pounds. So why not just get the ball and fall forward? So I, I had I had no problem with that. So, uh, guys, before we start wrapping things up here, let's talk about some predictions for the game. You don't have to give me a score if you don't want to, but uh, how do you see this one shaking out? I'll go first, just so I'll give you some time to think about it. I think this is going to be a very interesting game as far as. I don't know if it's going to be up in the 30s, but I can certainly see a lot of points being scored in this one. I don't know what the over-under is either. I didn't do any research on the betting part of this game. I don't know what the spread is. I don't know what the over-under is, but I'm probably, I would take the over if I were a betting man. So I can see this being sloppy at times. I can see a few turnovers potentially coming up. So I think the Bears are going to score enough. I think Justin Fields is dynamic enough. And I think maybe if the Bears do change something up on defense, they can rattle uh jared goff because like we were talking about with uh kent platty he said goff has to have everything perfect around him for him to operate efficiently so why not throw a bunch of crazy crap at him and see if you can rattle him early and get him to start turning into an interception machine so uh i'm gonna go i'm gonna go bears 29 and lions 23 i just think that they're gonna score enough points and probably uh make some kind of stop uh on, on the defensive side of the ball and the bears get a win uh what what, what do you think danny yeah, for me too. I mean, Jared Goff, it's not, it's not a secret. He hates Soldier Field. He doesn't like playing any outdoors and the elements. Now, I think the forecast for Sunday is, is going to be in the 30s. I'm not sure if it's going to be sunny or not. So it might be a little bit windy. So it might be a little bit too cold for Mr. Jared Goff, a California boy there. So we'll see how that goes. But again, it goes back to that defense. You know, if, if the Bears cannot get any sort of pressure, whether it's front four or design blitzes or any, any sort of scheme, anything up, you know, I think he's going to get sit back. And he's got weapons, right? He's got uh, Armand sure. St. Brown out there. You know, I, we talked about the, the running backs in terms of uh, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams in the backfield. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I mean, I think, I think the bears going to continue, hopefully putting the points up on, on the board, you know, uh, I'll say, and again, I, I think I, I will, I want to see the, the running attack being more of, of, of a, you know, a focal point on the offense going kind of back to that, not just relying on Justin here to throw the ball down the football field. So, but I, for a final score, I'm thinking like bears, 28 lions, 24. Oh, what do you got? Well, I'm not going to make a prediction, but I will say this, that, um, uh, every time the Lions lose a game, Don Burr is nowhere to be found in our chat room <laughs> space. And so, and then the bigger the loss, the longer the absence for Don Burr. So my hope is, is that the Bears are going to clobber the Lions so badly that Don Burr will be missing for weeks and weeks. But before well, they we won last week, did he make an appearance on these shows? Uh, he, he he was actually missing, so I imagine that uh, he probably got beat up by a, a Green Bay Packers fan, a female Green Bay Packers fan. Um, hey man, I love real quick. I 
love it because all it does is keep stirring up conversation in the chat. And it keeps oh, yeah. on. <laughs> keep, I love Don. Keep I going on, Don. You're a good yeah. sport. I like you. He, Don is a good guy. Deep down inside. But I still hate him. Um, before we let Danny go, though, I, there is one more piece of tape that I would like to for him to evaluate. Uh, so I apologize, Danny, that I didn't get this to you earlier. But this is the uh, oh, phone booty bubble shake here. So yeah, I, I saw that. I'm like, I'm like, is he trying to push a fart out? I mean, what's what's what's? I had to get loose, Dan. I'm old, Dan. I had to get my the uh, the Jalen Waddle Waddle thing before he's. You know, my hips are a mess. I got to get loose before I do anything that involves movement there. And uh, how did I do? Oh, did I score? And my tags out on my shirt. Oh, what? I'm a freaking mess. And is, is this the strike? Down. Is this the strike? Uh, let's take a look here uh, and see. No, he leaves a pin. No, I didn't. Did I? <laughs> There's a pin there. Yeah. See uh, I don't know about all that. <laughs> that, that, was, that was fun, guys. That was, that was they, a good time. Danny, when they say, you know, a guy has, you know, open, loose hips, that's what they're talking about, right? Like, I can, I, I'm shifty. Like, if I was backpedaling. Or, that, or, that. or what Shakira says, hips don't lie. <laughs> my hips did not lie and my my the, my final score ultimately uh did uh it was not very good but uh yeah th thank you for that alt great analysis and thank you for capturing that moment for me Aldo. that's 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 great thank you i have to share it with the world <laughs> yeah. I, i've been on trips with aldo and and with aldo has a camera you, you're never safe yeah, never. Right. <laughs> never get back into your evaluation oh what's going on what's going on with the game that we're talking about on this football podcast <laughs> well i just want to let people know that uh we've got great uh more great football content coming up tomorrow uh we got baseball first cross on cross talk vinnie parisi is going to talk about the world series uh look at uh, dusty baker's incredible career he's headed to the hall of fame and we learned today that he's going to sign another one-year contract to manage the Houston Astros, and that's uh, a, a, should be a perfect encore for for Dusty. A lot of he's a very well loved in baseball. So Vinny is going to cover Dusty's career with uh, in Major League Baseball in that World Series win. And then at 6 p.m. it's the Mac and Reed show. Ross Reed and uh, Evan McLean are going to also. I've got some video to uh, <laughs> to <laughs> embarrass them, John. So don't feel <laughs> too bad. Uh, but they're also going to uh, look at the the progress of Justin Fields and talk about this upcoming game. And then, of course, our regular full slate of shows on Sunday. Absolutely. And uh, listen, like you said, check out the uh, the Mac and Reed show on Thursday. I I, I just feel like that, that's that's a, a really great show. They're going to have some interesting takes. I think that uh, just if you haven't listened to it or watched it yet, give it uh, tune in and see what those guys have to say. Uh, and then don't forget directly after the bears game, which hopefully is a win over the lions uh, that Danny, myself and Tyler Ellis will give you our immediate thoughts on the bears performance on the ballrooms postgame show bear football. The second the clock hits triple zeros, we go live and we start talking about the bears game. Hopefully, uh, you know, we're going to be juiced up no matter what, but hopefully we're talking about a Bears win and we're talking about what they did to dominate the division foe, the Detroit Lions. Uh, Aldo, what else do we got going on? I know we got some non-football stuff coming up here, right? We do indeed. Uh, our uh, science fiction show looks at all of the science fiction movies coming up. I'm not sure what they're going to tackle, so, so to speak, uh, uh, this Thursday night, but I love their show. They do a lot of work on Marvel movies, but they include the whole slate of what Hollywood is releasing from a from a um, uh, um, uh, science fiction perspective, that, that genre of movies. And then 
If you're a gambler, make sure you tune into Weekend Sports Betting Tips with Johnny Santucci. Johnny's on a roll, man. He has not had a losing day in about over a week now. So uh, Tucci is a, is a is a great follow, and his Weekend Sports Betting Tips with his two co-hosts is here on, on Saturdays. You'll have to subscribe to the Barroom Network because sometimes their start time varies a little bit to accommodate their schedules. So the best way to stay on top of everything that we're doing here at the Barroom Network is to subscribe to our YouTube channel, and then the audio podcasts are available wherever you get your audio podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. You will find us there under the banner Barroom Network. All right, Danny, final thoughts before we head out. No, I mean, I'm just uh, just looking forward to, to, again, watching this game on Sunday. Hopefully, you know, like this is a, a big stretch for the Bears. I mean, like I know their, their expectations are low for them in terms of you know, what we, you know, wins and losses. But, you know, these three games that are coming up, at least the next next two, I mean, the Jets have a pretty damn good defense. But mm-hmm. offensively, I think the Bears, hopefully they can they could compete with them. But uh, versus now versus Detroit and versus Atlanta, these are not two teams that are, that are you know, that are, you know, juggernauts. And you can easily, I think, they continue this progress on offense, beat them. They just got to get some semblance of a, of a defense and get a couple of stops. The one thing I, I will say on defense, like I said, I already talked about our secondary. I love our secondary. Guys, I, I think Eddie Jackson's having himself another Pro Bowl season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know, although he's been a little thornier in your side in terms of, you know, some of the tackling, but he's coming up aggressive. He's hitting players now. Uh, obviously he's making he's, he's uh, I think he's tied or if he's not tied, he's second in, in the league with four interceptions. So I think, you know, he's, he's having a, a bounce back season and, and it's, I'm good to, it's, I'm glad to see them happen here with, with the bears and hopefully that he's got now solidified his spot on this roster going for the, you know, in the future. All right. That will do it for this edition of a phone 55. Danny, thank you so much for coming on. always love your insight. Always love you breaking down the film for us. And it was awesome seeing you guys this past weekend. It was great seeing the bar flies in, in person this weekend. Just once again, auto can't thank you enough for basically putting all that together. Like I said, you, you brought together a bunch of people who otherwise in life may not have ever crossed paths. So that's, if nothing else that you take from that, know that you brought a good community together to have some fun and talk about our favorite thing, the Chicago Bears. So cannot thank you enough, but uh, incredible weekend, incredible weekend in Chicago. And hopefully there's another incredible game on Sunday when the Bears defeat the Lions. But for Danny Shimon and Aldo Gandia, I'm John Buffone. This has been Buffone 55. We'll see you next week. Thank you.